0: All right, grab your Bibles. We're going to carry on in our uh, Sermon on the Mount series. we will be in Matthew 5. Um, As you're doing that, tell you a little story. A couple weeks ago, uh, I was driving our four kids to school. We've got four, uh, ages 11 is our son, and then we've got three girls down to age six. And so we're driving to school, having a good time, singing, you know, stopping fights, doing all the spiritual things you do first thing in the morning. And we make a turn, and I can see that we're going to be stopped at a red light and that's fine, that's normal, but I see at that red light, the vehicle in front of us is this massive truck, and that can go a number of ways, all right, Um, but on the back window of this truck was uh, some really large writing, four lines of writing in a very pretty turquoise color, and it rhymed, and I thought, maybe a poet, and then as I got closer, I was like, definitely not a poet. Um, I took a picture just to send to my wife. I can't show you, it was so crass and vulgar. And so here's my sixth grade son sitting next to me. He looks at me, just eyes like, boom. And I was like, uh-huh, I see it. My, my oldest daughter's in the back, in the middle, and she her eyes are already big, they, like size of the moon, big. And I'm doing that ninja parenting thing where we're communicating without communicating, like don't say a word, your younger sisters don't see it, right? because I could just hear my six-year-old saying, da, 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 like, and just going after it, right? Um, and so it feels like the longest red light ever. That's what it felt like. I was like, it's broken. Like, we're done, going around. Um, and so finally this truck turns off. We head on to school, and I, I'm feeling all the feelings as a father. Like, I'm angry, you know, I'm kind of anxious. Like, what's gonna, what's gonna happen? What's gonna come from this? And my son goes, Dad, why would somebody put that on their car. And I was like, I got answers, man. I got lots of answers. I have psychoanalyzed this guy as to what could have happened in his childhood to produce this way, this decision-making. And like probably decisions he makes now. And let me tell you the road he went down, son. And if you don't wanna be like that guy, follow this way. Like I got all this worked up, but I restrained myself because I'm holy. (sighs) And I go, listen, man, I'm grateful that we live in a country founded on certain rights, and unfortunately, sometimes people use those rights in such a way that they're wrong. Because in that moment, that that guy was using his rights at the expense of everyone around him, especially children, in my opinion. And so don't get me wrong, I'm all about rights. I love that we have you know, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm a fan of the Constitution and the Declaration of Independence and Nicolas Cage and all of the rights that we have, all right? He is a treasure, all right? I'm a fan of all of it. I really am. The Bill of Rights, the amendments, love it. But there is this tension within our country. There's this tension if you are a follower of Jesus in this country. And I think that's what Jesus gets at today is, is there a way that we use our rights that really feels more like wrongs? Because we've seen what happens when that's the case. We start taking our stands, we choose sides, we cancel, we demonize, whatever it may be. And we kinda have this undercurrent in our society of you know, being quick to sue and, and get after each other and get on each other. And I mean, think about it, in our society, if you try to save someone's life and it doesn't go well, you can get sued. However, if you have an opportunity to save someone's life and you don't, you can get sued. So where do you go in that? Like which which line of that are you gonna fall on? And people have to genuinely think about that. Like, I don't know. And so that's just, that's part of the place that we live. And so we acknowledge, I think, that rights oftentimes are not as black and white as we would like for them to be. There's some messiness in there. And then complicating matters even further if you're a follower of Jesus is as you read scripture, it's really hard at times to to recognize what's central to my Christian faith versus what have I read into the scriptures that are really just a part of my everyday life as an American. Um, Just last week, we had a a group from GFC visit our staff meeting, and it's this team that has worked tirelessly behind the scenes to help relocate and settle this family from Afghanistan. And Amanda Brown's helped lead that team. It's been amazing. Uh, It's so encouraging. But one of the ladies was sharing her experience and what she's learned during this process. And one of the things she said I thought was so profound. She said, what's what's really been important for me is I've spent time with people from other cultures. Again, Afghanistan, not a rights-based culture, right? Not not a rights-based culture. She said, I've had to tease out what is truly part of my Christian faith and what are really just Western ideals that I've read into my Christian faith. And I thought that was profound. And and what a worthwhile practice to engage as we come to the scriptures and think, okay, what is this that is core to Jesus in my faith versus something I've read in? Because what I think we hear today in this text in the Sermon on the Mount is Jesus saying, there is a way to view your rights and to exercise your rights whereby you can cultivate righteousness and not contentiousness. Where you can actually serve rather than this deadbolt that locks out the spirit from moving in and through you and these relationships around you to swinging wide this doorway for God to do what only God can do. And so we've got to have ears to hear what Jesus says. So let's read this together, Matthew 5, verse 38, and then we'll come back and work our way through. You have heard it said... An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. And every person with a truck wants to know what that verse means. Like, how far does this go? We'll we'll get there. So what is Jesus saying about rights in these verses? What what does he have to say about how we engage with those around us when we have uh, obligations, we have freedoms that we can exercise? How do we do this? Because what it sounds like from Jesus is, I just want you to become a glorified spiritual doormat. That's what it sounds like at first glance. And yet that's not what he's saying. And so what what I want to start with is what is he not saying? What are a couple of limitations around this teaching that are going to help us understand and then apply later? So I've heard countless people say something along these lines, and I get it, I agree with the sentiment of it. I've heard people say, I just read the Bible literally, and then I do what it says. Okay, I get it. I agree with that for the most part. But if you take that approach here, you will end up bloodied, naked, uh, completely bankrupt, homeless, and a puppet of a political oppressor. Have at it. Like, if that's what you want to do, go for it. So I think in order to understand, like, what's going on culturally, what's happening with Jesus' language for us to be able to understand. So one of these limitations is that, like we've said, Jesus is not creating a new letter of the law. Rather, here's how I would say it. This is about responsibility with principles, not particulars. This is responsibility with principles, not particulars. Jesus is gonna lay out some principles, some big picture ideas with very specific examples from his day that require some cultural interpretation for us to understand and then figure out how we apply it now. So spirit of the law, not letter of the law. Second is that I, I can't, I can't really grab them. I can't reconcile with the rest of the New Testament that Jesus intends for these teachings to be superimposed or overlaid onto governmental structures. Like, I don't think Jesus is talking to policymakers for nations. Because again, our understanding, our interpretation has to make sense in every civilization. The applications will be different, but not the interpretation. Does that make sense? And so we've got to work through what is that. And here's the thing. This can be touchy at times because some people might take this text and say, listen, because of this text, I am a a pacifist. I don't believe in violence ever. I don't think you should even defend yourself, your person. I don't think you should defend a country, neighbor, whatever. Some people read this and say, I think this is actually telling us what kind of healthcare system or economic system is biblically justifiable. And here's the good news. We can disagree on all of those things and still agree on the main thing, which is that we are sinners in need of a savior. Jesus is his name and we want as many people as possible to know him and meet him. That, that's what we can agree on. But in all of the study, and all of the understandings of scripture, I, just, I don't see how it lays these individual teachings onto governmental structures. So I think this is for the people of God who want to follow the way of Jesus in view of the coming kingdom of God. All right, so now let's go back with that and let's look at 38 and then the first part of 39. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, don't resist an evil doer. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. This this language shows up three times in the Hebrew Bible and the Old Testament, Exodus, Leviticus, and Deuteronomy. Here's just one example from Leviticus. If any man inflicts a permanent injury on his neighbor, whatever he has done is to be done to him. Fracture for fracture, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, whatever injury he inflicted on the person, the same is to be inflicted on him. This was known as lex talionis. This is the law of retaliation. And listen, this predates scripture. This is one of the oldest known laws in civilization. I mean, dating back to Hammurabi's code, like 1800 BC, hundreds of years before Moses, this was already in play. And contrary to what a lot of us think about this law, it was not actually this permissive, like you go get yours, take back what's yours kind of thing. This wasn't a permissive in nature, it was actually restrictive in nature. This was a guardrail meant to um, kind of shield and, and guide us because of the vengeance that we have naturally in our hearts. This was something to get after that, that John Wick that lives and dwells in every one of us to a certain degree, or the Punisher, or whoever your favorite vengeance character is. In other words, if somebody kills your dog, you can't take out their whole family. That's not okay. If someone accidentally chops off your toe, you don't get to take a leg in return. And this is, these are the kind of things that would happen in ancient cultures. There would be all out family blood feuds where because somebody did this over here, well, we're gonna escalate it over here and ramp it up. Kind of this ancient Hatfield and McCoy thing just of, of legend and lore that just grows and grows. And so God goes, look, y'all need some help. <laughs> like, let's, let's put some constraints on this. And if we're honest, this is where we are. Our hearts crave vengeance. Our hearts crave retribution, We wanna win, we don't wanna get even. Like I wanna do you one better. You spill something cold in my lap, enjoy this hot soup in your face. Like that's how we tend to operate. And so this, this law comes in, this lex talionis is to check our hearts, but like Matt said last week, if it's just a law in place, you will always find a loophole when and where you need it. You always can. You can do whatever you ultimately want to justify And that's what was happening. The Pharisees were preaching and propagating this law as prescriptive. As in, you gotta do this. You gotta get even. You gotta get yours. And so that's where people are being misled. And Jesus is coming in and saying, look, no, this is meant to be a check on people's hearts, but this is not God's heart for his people. That, that kingdom citizens would go beyond retribution We'd go beyond getting even into something better, into a deeper righteousness. And so Jesus channels the heart of God and says, just because you have a right doesn't make it right. That's the deeper underlay here. So we can exercise our rights in these subversive ways that require even more strength and more power than if we were just to take an eye or take a tooth. And Jesus sets us all on edge because he starts out by saying, don't resist an evildoer. I mean, just you read that just flat on the page and you're like, I don't how is that livable? And that's kind of the point. Jesus' language is meant to shock us into questioning our values. Like, what do I what do I care about the most? What am I willing to do here? This word he uses for resist is anthistomy, and it means to set against or to be hostile toward. But it's interesting because the, the version of the Old Testament that most people in this day were using or working from was actually a Greek translation. It was called the Septuagint. And this word used throughout the, the Greek translation ends up meaning to take legal action against. And that's how most commentators, most scholars say Jesus is using this word. It means if you can help it, don't take legal action against someone to get retribution. Don't, don't take somebody to court. Don't take someone before the the tribe of elders to make this thing right, like we're better than that. Let's figure this out. And this is what Jesus' examples flesh out for us. How do we do this in such a way that we open doorways for God's spirit to move in ways that we can't manufacture versus just keeping the deadbolt latched and not letting God work? And so he says in this first example, on the contrary, if anyone slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. Did you know that in our country, as advanced as we are, there is a slap fighting championship league? Did you know this? Don't Google it. I did. I watched the video so you didn't have to. I'm dumber for it. I'm like grown human beings with full freedom standing across from each other and just, like right across, like until somebody won't get up. I mean, like, you can just, like, just freedom in the room, you know, like, we can do this. This is our right. It's crazy. That's not the kind of slapping Jesus is talking about. That's not what he's going after. And so just up front, let me say, this verse has been used to justify telling women, you are to stay in an abusive relationship, you're to turn the other cheek, you're to keep the peace. Absolutely not. That's not what this is saying. In the same way, it's not saying if someone is an intruder in your home and your family is in danger, you welcome them in, you are out the red carpet, and say, hey, you do whatever you want in the name of Jesus. Take us, we're yours. Like that's not the spirit behind what Jesus is saying. Even here on our, on our GFC property, I am grateful and thankful, and I hope you are too, every time you come in and you see our officers present. And yes, it is mainly a deterrent, But should something crazy happen, they're ready and trained to give their lives for yours if necessary. And so I just, I don't think it's livable to say that Jesus is proposing that evildoers are never to be resisted. We're never to do anything about evil. We just let it run amok and do whatever. You think about the Hitlers of the world, the Saddam Husseins, rapists, murderers, people who commit violent crimes. It's not livable Romans 13 is clear that God ordains government authority for the good of the people, which includes being a terror to evil conduct. So I don't, I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. So what is this slap all about then? In this day, uh, it, it would have been more like a backhand slap. If somebody's getting hit across their right cheek, they didn't use their left hand for much of anything, and so it was a right hand, backhand, across across the face. And this was all about insult. This was about humiliation. This was demeaning it would have actually been degrading. It was so bad that ancient law codes are, are found and they've got varying levels of retribution that are allowed if you've been slapped like this in public. You could be fined. You could go so far as to having your ear cut off depending on the nature of what happened. That's how serious this was. And so this is a serious thing for Jesus. So at modern day examples, this could include someone bad mouths you at work And it starts making its way around or they make it public. Someone takes to a social media slander campaign about you, about your family. If you've ever been on the other side of that, you know how painful it can be. People talk about you behind your back and you find out. And so the idea here is that, yes, your dignity is dishonored. You're being embarrassed. You're being humiliated. But in choosing not to retaliate in kind, slap for slap, you're actually leveling up your dignity by not stooping down. And then the harder turn to make is that by not retaliating, you're actually raising the dignity of that other person who's doing that to you. Because you're choosing the way of Jesus to say, I don't have to get even. I know where my value is. I know who I am and whose I am. And it's not your opinion that counts. And so you work at it This way, So you're elevating the dignity of both of yourselves. And you just believe what Jesus says. Like when the Lord says vengeance is mine, you're gonna entrust that to him in these different areas. So you turn the other cheek as it were in that instance. And he goes on in verse 40, he says, as for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. So this shirt would have been akin to our, under, our undershirts, whatever. Like it would have been a long flowing garment, usually long sleeve, worn next to the skin. And then beyond that was the outer garment, the coat. And that is what you, you couldn't take from someone. That was a vestige of security is what most scholars say. Like that's the last thing someone would possibly own before being completely naked was that coat. Jewish law forbade you taking that in a court of law because it was someone's security. It would have doubled as even a sleeping bag or a sleeping blanket for people. And so Jesus is really drawing out the the final straw here for people. He said, I want you to give up your coat. I want you to give up the last thing that you would say, 'That's, that's my last vestige of security in this life. And I want you to go beyond. I want you to give someone even more than what they're asking for you. Not because they're owed it, but because in a way you're communicating to them, I trust that my father will provide in ways that you don't even know. And so this isn't about someone sues you for your house and you say, you know what, just throw the cars into. Like, that's not what this is about. This is a personal commitment that you're looking at someone through Jesus' eyes and saying, I'm willing, I'm able, I'm committed to seeing this through as far as I can for your good, to help you out with what you need. And if it's somebody that's got beef against you, you say, look, let's go grab coffee. Let's go get some food together. My treat, I wanna seek to understand what's going on here. I wanna know and i want us to repair i want us to reconcile if possible but in short what we're saying is look i refuse to trade my righteousness for contentiousness i won't do it it's not worth it so let's talk about what you really need let's see what we can do in this and jesus goes on he doesn't let up i mean just imagine hearing this just rapid fire in jesus day and if anyone forces you to go 1 mile go with him too so we're reminded that Rome is the occupying superpower of this day. They have come in by force and have taken over Palestine and the surrounding areas. And the Jews and Romans, they didn't like each other. The Jews hated the Romans, absolutely hated them. If you've ever watched The Chosen, you really pick up on that in a, in a vibrant way. And so a Roman soldier at any point could, tell, could go to a Jewish citizen and say, hey, I, I need, you need to carry my pack, and they would have to carry it about a mile or so. They had no choice. The other time that word forced like that is used is is at the crucifixion, when Jesus is carrying the cross and he can't carry it anymore. And the Roman soldiers grab Simon of Cyrene out and say, you are now forced, you're pressed into service to carry the cross the rest of the way. And so they could do this at any moment. And so Jesus tells the Jews, look, despite your disdain for the Romans, what if, what would it communicate if you got to the end of that mile and, you, and they were gonna, they're like, all right, drop the pack, or they're trying to take it off your shoulder, and you said, no, you know what? I think I've got another mile in me. Let's go. And you talk, and you walk. Like, what possibilities might that open up in that relationship or for that person on the other side? And so situations like that do still happen in the world, believe it or not, in our lives, in our country. Thankfully, it looks different. It's more mundane. One example, teenagers, Older students, maybe if you're a college student living at home, the next time you get asked to clear the table, what if you're like, okay, I'll, I'll do you one up. And you clear the table, and you do the dishes, and you sweep the floor, and you turn out the lights. It's like this, watch. Like that. That's how they go off. You turn out the lights, you give Mara Pop a kiss on the cheek, and you go to bed. But, because what happens is you go, okay, you know what? I'm not being forced to do this. I'm gonna flip the script on this. I'm, I'm choosing to go here. I'm choosing to go this journey with you and we're gonna see the fruit that's gonna come of it. And there's so many ways to play that out. I mean, we could talk about examples like that for days. But Jesus goes on. He doesn't give them time to breathe. He says, verse 42, give to the one who asks you. Don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. So again, is, this, is Jesus saying literally like every time, every single time someone asks something from you, you have to give it to them you have to let them borrow that thing, your truck. Because you didn't know when you bought that truck that you had actually started a moving service, did you? Not-for-profit moving service. But again, that's not it. It's, it's the spirit. It's not the letter of the law. It's not an obligatory sentence on you to follow Jesus. That now I've got to say yes to absolutely everything. However, it's also not any excuse for us to be stingy. And so I think the question for us is, am I cultivating the kind of heart that is able to have very open hands? Am I I cultivating the kind of heart and spirit that's ready and willing to give, that's willing to lend, that's willing to help and give up those time and resources and money and whatever it may be? And so the way that we do this communicates to others, I do not see myself as an owner of my goods but as a manager, as a steward of God's gifts. And we're gonna come back to that as we go through the Sermon on the Mount. So in no way I don't think is Jesus saying, hey, I want you to be a spiritual doormat. We, We don't baptize passivity in Jesus' name and call it a holiness, virtue, or anything like that. That's not what we are called to do as followers of Jesus. Rather, this is an active, subversive way of life. This is how we respond to the one wishing us harm to the one who wants to take from us what is not rightfully theirs, the the one trying to take advantage of us. We can respond in such a way that we turn the deadbolt, open the door and say, God, move as only you can move in this situation, in this relationship, in this struggle, whatever it may be. And it's these doorways to righteousness and blessing, doorways through which God can do what only God can do. And it's on the other side of that threshold that once we cross through and once we invite others with us, that we see redemption and reconciliation and restoration and renewal and rescue. That's where it happens. It's not gonna happen if we're keeping the door locked the whole time and just kind of living in the refuge of our rights. It's never gonna happen there. And so what happens is we do this, questions start looking different. They're no longer limit bound. We start asking things like, how much further can I go? How much more can I endure? How much more can I give? How much less can I do with so that someone else can have more? We start asking those questions on our own. And it could look something very simple like this. Like, hey, I've set aside this day, right? Like this is a spa day. And I'm not talking about for the ladies. I'm talking about for myself. This is a spa day, right? No, this is for the ladies. You got your spa day. Or man, I've had this golf game on the calendar for some time. And now this joker over here is asking me for help. On that day, at that time, at that moment, and I know that saying yes to them is a no to me. All right, Lord, <laughs> I'm gonna see. I'm gonna open the door and see what might happen. I'm just gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna see what might happen here. Someone asked to borrow some yard equipment and you are ready to give that equipment, you just bring it back full, whatever it is, bring, You know, and you start sensing the Lord going, hey, maybe you should go too. And you're going, I got plans, I'm good, you know? You go, no, I'm okay, I'll, I'll offer myself up as well. I'll go, I'll go help with the work. I'm thinking about it just within GFC life. Some of you are, are pray, praying for blessings, you're praying for something unexpected. I wonder if that's something unexpected. That little blessing is a three-year-old with a snotty nose down in early childhood waiting for you to say, you know what? I'll serve down there once a month. And he's just like, I'm saving that snot for you. But that's blessing, like you don't know until you do it. I wonder if for some of you, some of the joy you're lacking is waiting on the other side of a door on a Sunday morning on a hospitality team and you opening a door for someone, you saying a, a greeting to someone at the New here desk, man just lifts them in a way that you can't put a finger on because they're walking in weary and broken and tired. And this may be their last shot at being in a church and you have an opportunity to do something like that. And maybe, just maybe, you don't put that bumper sticker on your car. You don't put that message on your rear window because you don't wanna put any stumbling block in the way of you being able to talk about Jesus with anyone. You want your life to speak for itself. Those are just everyday examples of just these possibilities where doorways could exist. And listen, I I wanna close just super practical, I know this can feel like ethereal, but here's some practical things that I've thought about just for my own life. These are three instincts that come up, I think in us, in our hearts, in our minds that signal to us, hey, I'm having a deadbolt mentality here. But the good news is that every time there's a deadbolt deadbolt mentality, there's a doorway opportunity that comes along that's right there with it. And so when you start feeling in in these interactions or these situations, some of these tendencies, pay attention. The first one, is demanding. You sense that demanding spirit well up in you. And this may be a certain personality that has this, but it can look different ways. Maybe for you it's, it's not demanding, it's more of a deserving. It's like a sense of entitlement. And this could come for a number of reasons. Maybe it's your position of authority at work or in a relationship of some kind. Maybe it's your age. Maybe it's just ego and it's just flat out sinful but there's that demanding spirit that creeps in. I'm owed this. Pay attention, because that is gonna shut down the spirit working and moving in that situation 100% of the time, 100% of the time. So demanding, what about dismissing? This instinct we get to just blow someone off. Like someone brings a concern to you, or you know something's happening, but you're just avoiding it. You're not giving it the time of day. You're like, I'm not gonna dignify that. When in reality what you're doing is not dignifying the human being, we can do that. We can dismiss a person because we don't think their problem is good enough or has enough evidence, whatever it may be. So paying attention to that, demanding and dismissing. The last one is my personal struggle, defending. And this can look any number of ways. Let Let me show you one way this has played out for us just this last week. So my wife and I, were getting ready in the morning, we're getting the kids ready, and we're having one of those bathroom mirror conversations. You have those, you're like, why aren't we just looking at each other? Like, why are we mirror, anyways. And so I've got a new shirt on, and she goes, hey, where'd you get that shirt? I said, I got it at Sam's. And a coworker of mine, we've had this conversation, you know you've arrived when you buy your clothes the same place you get your groceries. (laughs) Like, that's when you know, like streamlining this bad boy. I got it at Sam's the other day when I spent $400 on eggs. Like, that's when I got it. <laughs> and, um, and so she goes, oh, well, I didn't realize you had any more spend money left. Now, <clears throat> she does not set my allowance. We, when we're budgeting every month, we say, hey, here's our agreed upon spend money, and we help keep each other accountable because otherwise we'd be broke. And so um, I was like, oh, oh, you know what? You're right. I did. I bought a jacket the other day, but I didn't spend anything in January. And you know our rollover system Uh, And so I'm bankrolling some money here. So I'm good. And she looked at me and goes, I'll check on that and get back to you. (laughs) I'm like, I you know, you don't have to check on me. And I just walked out. She said something I pretended not to hear, but it was probably, oh, walk out like you do. You know, like one of those things because that's how I remain in control. I just walk out, drop the mic. Now, mind you, I am neck deep in sermon prep for this sermon. Like, okay, defensive Patrick, great. And so I'm convicted. She comes downstairs. I take her by the shoulders, look in those beautiful eyes. I'm like, baby, I'm so sorry. I was defensive. I know that's in me. I know that's an instinct. I'm working on that. Please forgive me, I forgive you. And then she says, I realized why I came at you the way I did. And I'm thinking like, I'm such a great leader. Like, I have just, I have led this woman into the Lord in such a way that she's about to open the doorway to the spirits movement in a way that probably the world's never seen before. She says, I know why I did it. I said, why? She goes, I hate that shirt. <laughs> I like, great, so that, that's my defensiveness. If you want to join our marriage seminar later, feel free. Um, But that's it. So it's just defensiveness, this instinct to avoid, to get out of something as fast as possible. Some of y'all know exactly what I'm talking about, or your spouse does, or your friend does. To not ask the hard questions of ourselves or of one another. This might look like blaming or finger pointing, the silent treatment. So just look, when you feel that instinct, man, just stop, lean in and open the door and see what happens. It may be really uncomfortable, but it's going to get better. You'll be better and everybody will be better for doing it. And so as we start recognizing these mentalities, we're able more and more to open the door to see what God will do in those, in those moments, in those relationships. And what we're doing is we're embodying and modeling the very thing Jesus did for us. Not just what he taught us, because he's gonna go on and show these people exactly what this looks like, played out, in perfection. Because Jesus doesn't demand his rights. Jesus doesn't dismiss people and relationships to make a point. He doesn't say, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not going there, I won't do that, I'm, I'm entitled to something better. That's not what Jesus does. And so some people would say, look, well, you look at that and you go, well, Jesus didn't even defend himself, and, and so that's why we shouldn't defend ourselves, and we shouldn't do it, we should just take it, and that's gonna you know, display this message, and I think that's missing the point. Because the reason Jesus didn't respond is had he resisted, had he retaliated, had he done what was fully within his rights and what he was definitely capable of doing, the whole world would be worse off. We would be dead in our sins, dead in our trespasses, no hope, no beauty awaiting us for eternity had Jesus said, no, this is mine and I'm going to take it. So only Jesus could open the door for us to experience that rescue and that redemption. And so in a few moments, when we take communion together, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it's because Jesus lived this. It's because Jesus chose to turn the other cheek and to say, no, I can take even more. I can take all you've got to give. Jesus chose to give up his garments freely, to die naked and exposed and say, there's nothing you can take from me that I've not given to you. Jesus chose to give up his riches, his reputation, his rights. Why? So that we could have a door open to a relationship with our heavenly father And it's that same door, Jesus goes, look, I'm standing here and I'm knocking and if you'll just open, you can come in and you can fellowship with me and you can dine with me and we can be in relationship and I'll show you the way that leads to abundance and to peace. I mean, there's some of us just sitting, arms crossed going, yeah, but it's my right not to. Absolutely. But the only one keeping you from that life with Jesus is you. And I think that's true for the person that's visiting here for the first time, potentially, or somebody who's been here for decades but has just gone through the motions. And that it's time to say, I need to open my entire life up to what the Lord wants to do. And for the rest of us, man, it's, it's time to look and say, hey, Holy Spirit, where in my life Am I exercising my rights in such a way that they are wrongs for another? Where in my life am I dead bolting out the Holy Spirit of God when all he wants to do is move and flourish and redeem and restore and heal? And so as we pray, as we sing, just in preparation for communion for the Lord's Supper, Man, if you need to open the door to Jesus in your life, tell him, tell him. Tell him, I'm ready for this. I wanna do life with you, Jesus. But beyond that, man, ask the Spirit to show you, show you where these rights are wrong, show you where you're closed off to what the Lord may wanna do in your life, in your relationships, in your communities. Let's pray. Good and gracious Heavenly Father, we know, we know because of the witness of what Jesus has done for us, what Jesus has given for us, what He refused to keep to Himself for us. We know that You are for us. You are for us as individuals, You are for our marriages. You are for our relationships and friendships. You are for our parenting and for being children. You're for our workplaces and for our church. And so God, I pray now. I pray for the one who has never with their faith in Jesus. That this will be a moment of transformation, a moment of change, a moment of redirection as that door is open and that relationship starts i pray for those who say that they've done that that you would show us where there is sin in our lives show us where our rights are contrary to our righteousness and to let us know that as we lay that at your feet lord it is not a condemning face looking down at us it is the face of a father lifting our chin and bringing us close for embrace Holy Spirit, have your way with us. We pray in Christ's name, amen.